John chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 3 and then to John chapter 2. We've been looking at standard of conduct for Christian workers in the church and how that you and I are to glorify the Lord before a lost and dying world. And I don't see how else we do that but by our conduct in the world. That's what they see. Um, you know, Paul wrote to the church at Corinth and said, Ye are our epistle. But Ephesians 3, verse 20 says, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. You know, some people say you can't live like that. Well, through the power of God you can. It's possible. It's made available to us. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. So it is, again, possible, and God expects, you know, we as parents expect certain things from our children, at least should. Should, There's certain things we ought to expect. You know, somebody, I heard a preacher say one time, you get what you expect. And uh, God expects certain things from his children. We're to be, we're to, to, we're to be transformed by renewing our mind, we're to, conformed to the word of God and might not be conformed to this world and it is to be done throughout all ages I remember soon after we started here uh, Pastor Green saying about there was a couple that he that we had contacted through phones I think and he went to see them and they were they got into uh, separation issues and holiness and the lady said this isn't the 90s like, well, you can't do that now? Yes, you can. He said throughout all ages. And so, so as we're looking at these, we've looked at uh, church attendance. Of course, that's a very important one. That's where we, we learn and grow. We're fed spiritually. Um, we looked at clothing, music, uh, giving, um, time in the Word of God, evangelism. Tonight, we want to look at Drinking alcoholic beverages or using drugs for recreational or mood-altering purposes. And go to John chapter 2. John chapter 2. John chapter 2. This is, of course, the first recorded miracle that Jesus did. In John 2, it says, On the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. When they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, They have no wine. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. His mother saith unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. There are set there six water pots of stone after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three perkins apiece. Jesus saith unto them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. He saith unto them, Draw out now and bear unto the governor of the feast. And they bear it. When the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and they knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom, and saith unto him, 
Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine, and when men have well drunk, then that which is worse. But thou hast kept the good of wine until now. This beginning of miracles did Jesus, Cain of Galilee, and manifested forth his glory, and his disciples believed on him. So the question is, was it alcoholic or was it non-alcoholic? That's the argument today. And many, there's an increasing many that are saying it's okay now to social drink. Even in what is called fundamental circles, or used to be called fundamental circles. So that's the question. Uh, Was this alcoholic wine? Well, let's pray and then we'll look at it a little bit. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity I have to open your precious word. We thank you, Father, that we have all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that have called us to glory and virtue. Father, I pray that as we look into the word of God tonight and examine the scriptures concerning these things of drinking alcohol and drugs, I pray that you would be glorified and we'd rightly divide thy word and give heed to it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I was doing a little research, and I come across this article. The title of it is, Did Jesus Make Alcoholic Wine? Put out by um, wayoflife.org, David Cloud's website. <clears throat> and it's part of an article written by the late Bruce Lackey. And he gives ten reasons why he believes that Jesus did not make alcoholic wine, nor did he drink it. Ten proofs from Scripture, and I want to start by giving you those, uh, because he used, references this passage of Scripture. The first one he says is, first reason is because of his holy nature. In Hebrews 7.26 we read that he is holy, harmless, and undefiled, separate from sinners. And, you know, being God in the flesh, you know, Jesus, I'm sure, had an air of holiness about him that could be seen. Uh, the profane soldiers who went, were sent to arrest him gave us their reason for returning without him. Never man spake like this man. There was just something about him that distinguished him from everyone else. And so, so why is this important? Well, consider this illustration, he says. The word cider may mean alcoholic beverage or plus plain apple juice. Suppose we lived in the 20s, prohibition days, and we approached by two people offering us a drink of cider. One of the persons we knew to be one of the holiest men in town, faithful to the house of God, separated from the world, diligent in prayers, always witnessing to others. The other was a known liquor dealer. If each one offered us a drink of his very own cider, we would assume that the holy person was no more than apple juice. But there would be no doubt about our opinion regarding the liquor dealer's cider. Obviously, the character of a person influences what that one does. And since Jesus was holy, harmless, and undefiled and separate from sinners, we may safely assume that he would not make that which in Scripture is called a mocker and a deceiver of men, causing untold misery. See, Proverbs 20, verse 1 says, wine is a mocker. Strong drink, that's talking about alcoholic wine, is raging. And whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. And Jesus was 
wisdom, sanctification, and redemption. Why was he that is wisdom make something that would make men a mockery or make mockery of men? Second reason, he says, he, he would not contradict Scripture. Familiar verses in Matthew 5, 17, 18 says that uh, <clears throat> he did not come. Uh, let me read it to you. Think not that I am come to destroy the law of the prophets. I am not come to destroy but to fulfill. For I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall no wise pass in law to all be fulfilled. So he didn't come to destroy it. He came to fulfill it. And Habakkuk 2.15 says, Woe to him that giveth his neighbor drink, that puttest thy bottle to him, and maketh him drunken also, that thou mayest look on their nakedness. Now certainly Jesus knew this, this verse was in the Old Testament Scriptures. He was well acquainted with the Scriptures, since it is his word after all. Uh, he did not come to violate the Scriptures, he came to fulfill it. And he could not have done so if he had made alcoholic wine and given it to his neighbor. John 10.35 says, Jesus made this statement, the scriptures cannot be broken. Cannot. So to make alcoholic wine would to break this scripture. Third reason is, Leviticus 9.11 commands the priests of God their do not drink wine nor strong drink. Uh, and it says that you may put a difference between the holy and unholy and between unclean and clean, that you may teach the children of Israel all the statutes which the Lord has spoken. Now since, of course, the Lord Jesus is called a merciful and faithful high priest, we would expect him to obey the scriptures concerning the priests. And if he made or drank alcoholic wine, he would have disobeyed these verses, would have disqualified himself from the teaching the children of Israel the statutes of the Lord. Fourth reason, Proverbs 31, 4 and 5 prohibits kings and princes from drinking alcoholic wine. Let's, let's turn over there. Uh, Proverbs chapter 31 <clears throat> Proverbs 31, and <clears throat> verse 4 and 5. It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, nor princes strong drink, lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the judgment of any afflicted. So kings were not to drink uh, wine. And, of course, he is the prince of peace. He is the king of kings, Revelation nineteen sixteen. And in Matthew 27, he admitted to being the king of the Jews. You know, he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey's colt to fulfill Zechariah 9.9, which prophesied that Israel's king would come riding on the colt, the foal of an ass. So undoubtedly, he was a king and would have to obey Proverbs 31, 4, and 5. Again, that the scriptures be not broken. Uh as I mentioned, so this already, number five, Christ did not come to mock or deceive people. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging. Whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Would Christ come to make men a mockery of men or deceive them? No, he came to save them from their sin. 
Number six, he did not come to send people to hell. Now that sounds kind of odd, but go to Isaiah chapter 5. Isaiah chapter 5. Isaiah chapter 5. <clears throat> Verse 11. Isaiah 5, 11. Woe unto them that rise up early in the morning, that they may follow strong drink, that continue on tonight till wine inflame them. And the harp, and the vial, the tabret, and pipe, and wine are in their feasts. But they regard not the work of the Lord, neither consider the operation of his hands. Therefore my people are gone into captivity, because they have no knowledge. And their honorable men are fashioned, and their multitude dried up with thirst. Therefore, so because of this, because of the drink, hell hath enlarged herself. Hell hath enlarged herself and opened her mouth without measure and their glory and their multitude and their pomp and he that rejoiceth shall descend into it. Because of the strong drink that was promoted by the people there, he says, hell hath enlarged herself. I think it's Hosea that says, wine and whoredom taketh away the heart. If you go to the book of Revelations, one of the things that they say that, 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 they, that they will not uh, let be taken away, you know, they say, touch not the wine, the wicked. Well, they hang on to the wine. So hell hath, the Bible teaches here that the hell is enlarging itself because of the drinking of alcoholic beverages and the promotion of that. And Christ did not come to send people to hell. God sent not His Son in the world to condemn the world, but the world through Him might be saved. Therefore, He would not make something or turn water into something that would encourage people on the road to hell. Number seven. Christ did not come to cast a stumbling block before anyone. Romans 14.21 teaches that a man, a person who gives another alcoholic Wine does just that. says it is not good. It is good neither to eat flesh nor drink wine nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth or is offended or is made weak. Anybody who has studied alcoholism has learned that some people cannot handle any amount of alcohol. While others may drink a, a one or two social drinks and stop. Ex, you know, and experts don't know why this is true. Various theories have been propounded, but nothing has been proved regarding every person. Some say it's chemical other than cysts it's psychological, we don't know. But what a shame it would be for a person to get their first taste of liquor at the Lord's table, which some use. There's some Baptist churches that use it too. And then proceed on the road to misery to an alcoholic's grave. You know, the Catholic Church has a real problem with this. Charles Chenequi, in his 50 years in the Church of Rome, was, that was during the 1800s, he was a Catholic priest, and he wrote much. He was a, he was a voice for um, 
um, temperance. Trying to find, think of the word he, they use there. Temperance. He was a voice against using alcohol in the Lord's table because it said it made. He said it made alcoholics out of priests. And he saw it firsthand. And would the Lord Jesus cast stumbling blocks before men whom he loved and died for? The eighth reason, in John chapter, taken from John chapter 2, the miracle of turning water into wine does not require that it be alcoholic. Notice verse 10 again. And saith unto him, Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine, when men have well drunk, than that which is worse. But thou hast kept the good wine until now. Now, they would say that in those days it was common to serve the best alcoholic wine at first, saying the worst until later, when men's taste had been dulled by much drinking. But the point here is just the opposite. These people could definitely recognize that the wine which Jesus made was better than that which they served first. If they were half drunk, would they be able to tell? Very, very unlikely. The fact is, neither the wine which is served at first nor the wine that Christ made was alcoholic. In fact, the word, when it, the word wine, when it appears in the Bible, can mean several things. In context, you have, to, you have to study the context to tell that. The sad thing is, we've got a bunch of wicked theologians who can't seem to use a dictionary or a concordance or, or a, 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 a lexicon to look up the meanings of words. I think it's on purpose itself, but anyway. Uh, reason number nine is here in the same passage. The Lord Jesus would not have gotten glory from making drunk people drunker. I mean, this is common sense stuff. Look at verse 11. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested his, forth his glory. I mean, what glory would he have gotten if he'd have made a bunch of people at a wedding drunk? And, and then number 10. Making drunk people drunker would not have caused his disciples to believe more strongly on him. Yet, that's what verse 11 says. The end of the verse says, and his disciples believed on him. Now, John 1.41 already tells us that they already believed on him as the Messiah. So when it says they, that they believed on him, it, it means it increased their faith in him. You know, there was a deepening deepening of their faith and a proof that they had not been wrong about who he is. And again, would drunk, making drunk people drunker inspire faith in believing that he is the Messiah? Hey, you know, they weren't looking for a Messiah to pass out free booze. No. So, I think we have to conclude that this wine that Jesus made was not alcoholic. It was not alcoholic. Now, let's look at some other scripture passages before we leave this thought of alcohol. 
And go to uh, <clears throat> uh, um, Proverbs chapter 20 first. Proverbs chapter 20. Proverbs chapter 20. Proverbs 20, again, verse 1. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging. Notice, notice he, he makes a distinction here that it, this is talking about strong drink. So it is alcoholic. It is raging. And whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Now, the word walker, uh, walker, mocker means to scorn, to make mouths at or to talk arrogantly. The word raging means to murmur, to growl, to roar, Cry aloud, to rage, uh, make a tumult, to be clam- clamorous, uh, to be always troubled. Uh, the word deceived means to wonder or go astray. When I was growing up as a young boy, I don't remember a lot about it, but I do remember it pretty distinctly. We had a neighbor, and our farm joined their property just across the road, and we'd, when we'd come out of our fields, the field lane, their house was right there. I could have thrown a stool in the window, even as a 10-year-old boy. It's that close to where we'd come out of the field. And his name, the, the man's name, husband's name was Bill. We had some other names for him, but I'll just stop with Bill. But anyway, Bill was an alcoholic. They had, I think, five children, many of them the age of a lot of us, our, us children. We went to school with him. And it, but he was an alcoholic. There was an old run-down house. Never painted. Looked like an old barn that had never been painted on the outside. Uh, they had, you know, their lawn was seldom mowed. They had uh, 55 and 57 Chevrolets sitting uh, out, out in a little field-like area off from the side of the house, which could have been a nice lawn, but they never cut the weeds and just grew up around it. It was just a run-down-looking place. And he worked at fiberglass in Huntington, which was considered... A pretty well-paying place. But he often stopped at the bar and went home for a few drinks. Sometimes the girls would go on the school bus with bruises on their faces. Oftentimes you'd go by and you'd hear yelling coming from the house. But one particular day, and I remember this very clearly, Dad and my older brothers brought a load of hay into the barn. And he drove up behind the, the wagon load of hay and jumped out of the car with a handgun and pointed it. Dad and my brothers, some of them were on a hay wagon, I think, and they jumped into the hay mound. But he pointed it, and he was pulling the trigger, trying to, but he didn't have it loaded or something anyway. But anyway, you know, this is, this, see, the alcohol made mockery of him. There was always this raging. There was always a tumult. There was always trouble. Why? Because he drank. When he wasn't drunk, there wasn't those issues. You see, if you drink strong drink, you are not. Go to Proverbs chapter 23. Proverbs chapter 23. <clears throat> Proverbs 23. 
verse 29 to 35, says, Who hath woe? Who hath sorrow? Who hath contentions? Who hath babbling? Who hath wounds without cause? Who hath redness of the eyes? Again, you know, and I read this, I think of Bill. They that tarry long with the wine, they that go to seek mixed wine, look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth his color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. At last it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. Thine eyes shall behold strange women, and thine heart shall utter perverse things. Yea, thou shalt be as he that lieth down in the midst of the sea, or as he that lieth upon the top of the mast. They have stricken me, shalt thou say, and I was not sick. They have beaten me, and I felt it not. When shall I wake? I will seek it yet again. And, of course, go to Proverbs. I looked at this already, but Proverbs chapter 31. Again, <clears throat> verse 4. It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes strong drink, lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the judgment of any of the afflicted. Give strong drink unto him that is ready to perish, and wine unto those that be of heavy hearts. So the only justification for drink is you're ready to die, or if you're dying as a medicine. Yep. I have taken NyQuil. It's alcoholic. But it seems to work pretty good. But I don't continue drinking it, <laughs> obviously. But <laughs> um, so there is medicinal purposes it can be used for, but it is not. We, other than that, we are to abstain from alcoholic beverages. It will cause us to be perverted in judgment and forget the law of God. Uh, so, so we are to refrain from drinking Alcoholic beverages. I want to look also at, as uh, mentioned, drugs. Drugs. Before I do, I want to read a couple of things here. I mentioned this this morning. What would happen in America if uh, all the antidepressants were taken off the shelves? This is uh, under in the online called the Scientific American. This article says, quote, one in six U.S. adults reported taking a psychiatric drug, such as an antidepressant or sedative, in 2013, a new study found. New data comes from analysis of the 2013 Medical Expenditure Panel Survey, which gathered information on the costs and use of health care in the United States. An earlier government program report from 2011 found that just over one in ten adults reported taking prescription drugs. So from 2010 to two, or 2011 to 2013, it went from 1 in 10 to 1 in 6. Um, found 1 in 10 adults reported taking prescription drugs for problems with emotions, nerves, or mental health. The authors wrote in the research letter today in the Journal of uh, Journal Internal Medicine. Called, they call it JAMA. But that report for the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration didn't provide in information on which specific medications were more commonly used or how long they were used, said the authors of the study. So one in, one in, well, they say one in six. WorldNet Daily said this, uh, 70 million Americans taking mind-altering drugs, that's the title, by David Kupalian, uh, published in 2009. 2014. It says the heroin overdose 
death of actor Philip Seymour Hoffman has caused the media to focus, however fleetingly, on America's drug problem. News accounts of the Oscar winner's tragic demise typically reference the startling increase in heroin-related deaths in the last four to five years. The problem, reporters explain, is the vast number of Americans addicted to prescription pain meds like oxycodone, many of whom discover heroin to be both cheaper and easier to obtain than the prescription opiate drugs to which they initially became addicted. That's accurate as far as it goes, but by the following, the trail further, we arrive at a place far more shocking and consequential. We discover that not only has the traditional distinction between illegal street drugs and legal therapeutic prescription drugs become so blurred as to be almost non-existent. But between Americans' twin drug epidemics, one legal, legal and the other illegal, well over 70 million Americans are using mind-altering drugs. And that number doesn't include abusers of alcohol, which adds in a 60 million Americans. Additional 60 million. So that's 100 and, um, I can't add, 167, 13, 130 million Americans. So we're really talking about 130 million strung out Americans. How is it possible? And of course, most of the drug news we've heard lately has been about pot, started with medical marijuana and so on, and continues on. Uh, but think about that. Um, the last paragraph says, yet according to a 2010 study, the Federal Department of Health and Human Services, over 22 million Americans use illegal drugs comprising marijuana, hashish, cocaine, including crack, heroin, hallucinogens, inhalants, prescription-type psychiatric and opiate drugs without a prescription. And of those, fully half admit, get this, to driving on public roadways under the influence of drugs. So think about that the next time you're out driving. Makes me feel warm and fuzzy all over, doesn't it? Um, NBC News. Nearly one in five Americans admits to taking some sort of drug every day to help relax, most of them in states, as well being in Texas. He says, I think it is reasonable to assume that some respondents may be understanding their use just because they are talking to a live human being on the other side of the phone. Uh, so probably it's higher than that. But one in five Americans. I would say we have a drug problem in our society. What does the Bible say about it? Well, we'll look at a few verses here. Go to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. There's a word that's used several times in the Bible. <clears throat> and has several meanings, and they're all they all going to go together. But in Acts chapter 8, verse 11, it says, uh, And to him they had regard, this is Simon the sorcerer, to him they had regard, because of a long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. Go to Revelation chapter 9. Revelation chapter 9, verse 21. Revelation chapter 9, verse 21. It says, Neither repented they of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their fornications, nor of their thefts. And again in Revelation 18, and verse 23, Yeah, 
Revelation 18.23, And the light of the candle shall shine no more at all in thee, and the voice of the bridegroom and of the bride shall be heard no more at all in thee. For thy merchants were the great men of the earth, for by thy sorceries were all nations deceived. Now, Strong's Concordance definition for sorceries, the word is actually pharmakia. Sound familiar? Pharmakia, that's the word. Uh, and it means medication, magic, witchcraft. Uh, the biblical usage of the word, according to Blue Letter Bible, is the use or the administering of drugs, poisoning, sorcery, magical arts, often found in connection with idolatry and fostered by it, or the deceptions and seductions of idolatry. So, you know, from the book of Revelation, this, this, this word is used several, several more times. For, in fact, in Revelation 21.8, it's used again where it says, But the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And, and again in Revelation 22.15, For without our dogs and sorcerers, whoremongers and murderers and idolaters, and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. So, the word sorcerer there is, again, pharmakias, and it's, it's a, a uh, refers to a spell-giving potion, or a druggist, or a poisoner. So there's going to be sorcerers, uh, or poisoners, that are not going to repent. That's what he's saying. Without, outside of the New Jerusalem. Outside the city of God. That these are going to, these are going to end up in the, in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Sorcery. And from what I just read, I think our society is full of sorcery. Sorcery. And, and we are not, as God's people, to become... Uh, Addicted to these things or use these things. Go to go to First Corinthians chapter six. First Corinthians chapter six. <clears throat> of course, the, the big thing now is marijuana, the legalizing of marijuana, you know, and, and they're saying that you know there is medical um, uses for that, and and some people say you know you shouldn't be allowed to grow it. Period. Um, the sad thing is. Marijuana, or there was a, there's another name for it, and I can't remember now what it, what it is. Something, huh? Hemp. Okay, hemp. Hemp was a wonderful cash crop for farmers at one point. Not for marijuana use. But its fibers are great for making rope and all sorts of stuff. And it can be grown cheaply, and it, it grows big, of course. Uh, but, of course, they've outlawed it, and I think a lot of it's bureaucracy here. But, but you know, just like, like anything else, you know, should we make gun laws because people get killed with guns? So should we just eliminate all guns? So should we eliminate all growing of hemp or marijuana because people smoke it? 
In other words, they corrupt the usage of it when it can be used for so many good things and be profitable. I mean, I guess we better outlaw corn because you can make liquor out of corn too. And boy, there's a lot of corn grown in this country. You see what I'm saying? No, it's not, it's not the growing of it that's a problem. It's the usage of it, what we do with it. It's not the having of a gun that's a problem. It's what we do with it that's the problem. And, of course, they're, what they're legalizing is not just the growing of it. They want to legalize the usage of it for inhaling and, and smoking and all that stuff. Well, of course, there are side effects. Uh, here's some of the side effects, according to health science, of marijuana usage. Dry mouth, dizziness, increased appetite, memory impairment, lack of motivation, depression, paranoia, addiction, and lung problems. Sounds like I want to smoke some more. Why would I want to take it? And then look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse uh, 12. It says, all things are lawful on me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful on me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. So the principle is here, even if it's legal, Paul said, even if it's legal, I will not be brought under the power of any. In other words, I'm not going to take anything or do anything that become addicted that would control my life. Drinking, you see, is addictive. It controls men and women's life. Uh, these uh, drug uses becomes addictive. Smoking is addictive. In fact, I've been told by people who smoke, a neighbor who used to do other drugs, much worse than smoking, and he says it was easier to quit those than it is to quit smoking. And so the, the principle Paul's teaching here is, look, it may be legal, but if it's, if it's mind-altering, if it changes my thinking, if it affects my body in a way that is not pleasing to the Lord, then I am not doing it. It becomes sin. The word expedient means to contribute in order to help or profitable. The phrase brought under the power means to be master of the body, to have full and entire authority over the body. And we know from Ephesians chapter 5 that be not drunk with wine where it is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And the thought there is that we're to let the Spirit of God control us and not to be controlled like a man is controlled by alcohol. The body is for the Lord. Let's read on in this chapter. Verse verse, uh, 19. What? Know ye not that your body, which is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You see, our body is to be for the Lord. He has purchased it with his own blood. And we ought not to do anything, legal or illegal, even if it's legal in our country to do so, that would bring our body into an addiction that would be harmful to it. And drinking and drugs do that very thing. They do that very thing. 
So, we as God's people are to refrain from drinking alcoholic beverages, from smoking, drugs, recreational uses, or mind-altering purposes. No, we need, to, we need to discipline the mind. We need to allow the Word of God to transform our minds. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Ephesians 4, 23 says, And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Be renewed in your mind. How do you renew your mind? By meditating on the word of God. Philippians 4, 8 says, Let this, uh, we're to think on these things. All these, these things that the Lord has, has uh, uh, finally, brethren, what sort of things are true, honest, uh, pure, lovely, of good report, and a virtue, and a praise, we're to think on those things. And again, that's how you renew your mind. You know, the king in Israel was to have his own personal copy of the law so that he could read it all the days of his life. Why? Why did he need his own personal copy? So that he'd be renewed in his mind and not be perverted in his judgment. See, Solomon became perverse at the end because he didn't obey his copy of the law. He married strange women. And so we need to refrain from these things which would affect our mind which then will affect our conduct for a lost and dying world. So might God help us to obey the scriptures. Though there may be many who are saying it's okay. Scriptures haven't changed. Scriptures haven't changed. People change. But the scriptures cannot be broken. We need to stand with the scriptures. So we can bring glory in his church.